Futurized goes beneath the trends, tracking the underlying forces of disruption in tech policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. Join me, futurist Trun Arne Unheim, PhD author, investor, and serial entrepreneur, as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech such as AI, blockchain, IoT, nanotech, quantum, robotics, and synthetic biology, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship trends for the future of work. I'm a research scholar in global systemic risk, innovation, and policy at Stanford University. On Futurized, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, or even the occasional celebrity. Futurized is a bi-weekly show preparing you to think about how to deal with the next decade's disruption so you can succeed and thrive no matter what happens. Futurized, conversations that matter. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics or are looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, we've got the episode categories. Those are at futurized.org slash episodes. I am the co-author of Augmented Lean, a human-centric framework for managing frontline operation and the author of Health Tech Rebooting Society's Software, Hardware and Mindset, Future Tech, How to Capture Value from Disruptive Industry Trends, Pandemic Aftermath, How Coronavirus Changes Global Society, Disruption Games, How to Thrive on Serial failure and of leadership from below how the internet generation redefines the workplace for an overview you can go to trondenheim.com slash books at this stage futurized is lucky enough to have several sponsors and to check them out go to futurized.org slash sponsors if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast or to get an overview of other services provided by me including how to book me for keynote speeches please go to futurized.org slash store we'll consider all brands that have demonstrably positive contributions to the future before you do anything else make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurized.org where you can find hundreds of episodes of conversations that matter to the future. Please also leave a positive review on iTunes. Thanks so much. Let's be Cindy, it's so great to have you here. How are you? Oh, I'm really good. It's great to be on your wonderful podcast, John. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so this is exciting. You um you and I talked a little bit. You you have a fascinating background. You've uh you know have a master in sustainability and and business practice from University of Bath. So you know you've uh, worked on sustainability uh, both academically and professionally for a while. You you come from an activist family, I understand. So this uh, idea of combining sustainability with 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 activism is uh, not new new to you. But then you know, there's so many things in your background that I want to hit on. So I don't know exactly, but you've also led the Cambridge Science Center, and you had a stint at the Blue Marine Foundation. So very very passionate about the ocean. And and now as the founder of Planetary, which we'll we'll get to this global education platform, and of course your wonderful new book, uh, children's book, uh, Bright New World, which I have had the fortunate uh, fortune to review. So what wh- what do you uh, want to focus on, Cindy? What brought you here? So many different experiences in your background. Yeah, well, thanks so much, uh, Trondra. I'm sure like you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long, continuous, interesting journey. But yeah, I mean, I do come, my fa- my, I, have, I do have activists, a long history of activists my, in my family. Uh, so I didn't really have a choice. Uh, this is what we do. Um, from a teenager, I, you know, I've worked on environmental activism and, and I was quite involved in the um, anti-apartheid, uh, pro- London anti-apartheid protests. But I guess in a way, it is the same thing as you move through your life, just working out where you can um, 
affects change most potently on on the system. So I kind of grew from the you know the teenage activist at, at the gates or you know, the, the the embassy and in, in the apartheid time to to you know working doing some work within boardrooms as a you know with corporates on corporate change making and then really trying to the, the degree that I did the masters that was with. Um, that was funded by the absolutely wonderful Anita Roddick, who had founded the Body Shop, and uh, you know she was all the, the degree. Yes, it, it was a learning how to transform business, but part of that was understanding how to be most effective as yourself, as a change maker, which was really significant for me because I didn't find that actually working within corporations was where I was best placed for, for my own brand of activism. So you know that that took me through different. Uh, you know, different cycles, really. And I, I, um, I, yes, as you say, I worked in conservation in the Blue Marine Foundation. I worked, I ran the Cambridge Science Centre, but always was it within me was this feeling that what if we didn't have to stick the plasters on the disasters after they've happened? What if we raised this generation of human beings who understood how Earth worked and to work within those planetary boundaries, no matter what you want to be, whether an astrophysicist or a hairdresser. So for a very long time, I've been working on how to shift education, tell different stories of, of Earth. And it's been quite hard, actually, as all of us that work slightly outside of the margins. But I think the time has really come now that people can see that this is central to making shifts in the in in the now and in the future. So that was why it felt right to found Planetari and I found fantastic publishers to, to start publishing the stories that I'm telling and, and really feel the zeitgeist is on this kind of work I think that we're all engaged in. So, yeah. Well, there are a couple of threads here. So the, the first is, I guess, the urgency to seize this moment because you you are conveying this sense that both, obviously, this is a pivotal moment, uh, you know, where action is needed, but you're still very, very optimistic that one can build these new pathways. And presumably, because you still believe that we can educate our children, even though there are some very serious issues going on Im immediately, you think that uh, a new generation is, is sort of the actually the ultimate solution, I guess, to, to, to all of the problems we have, we have gathered up. Is that what you're saying? That it's going to just take a, a much bigger thing than just some mitigation actions, you know, at a political level right now? Yeah, I think we need to do both. We absolutely have to act as fast as we possibly can to take the mitigation actions that we can do in the now. But there's no point in taking those actions if we're going to raise up another generation of humans who don't understand how Earth works and who aren't able to innovate in everything that they do. So I think it's vital that we we act in the now and take this mitigation, but we also prepare our rising generation not only to understand what's happening, but how they can be part of an evolution, a, tran a transformation for how humans relate to Earth and how humans live on this planet. I think it's essential. Hmm. So Planetari then, uh, you started this uh, group uh, in 2018, I understand, and, and lined it up with the UN Sustainable Development Goals for educating children uh, on, on this challenge uh, of our planet as a living system. Um, why are you such a big believer in innovation and creativity among children? Is that, are they really about, uh, you know, uh, under, able to understand the complexities? Yeah, I absolutely think they are. I mean, I think children land eco-literate. It's a product of our education, of our social conditioning, that they then they're trained to be um, really consumers 
or to, to fit inside the to fit into the industrial revolution model that we have of society and i think that um so I, that, that is purely conditioning. So when you, the, almost the younger the children you work with, the more um, o- openness you have to, to these, these types of ideas. They, the, what they don't get is why we live in the way that we do. Now, they know they do understand the problems. Children have got a very good grasp of this now. They know that, even if it's not in, the, in a deep way, but they know Earth is overheating. They know why. But what they don't understand is why we're not doing anything about it. That's the bit that doesn't make sense to them. So, you know, they're very, mm-hmm. so when you start talking about, well, we can do this and this is the, you know, these are the mitigation strategies, these are the adaptations that we can make, they're totally into it. And they've got lots mm-hmm. of ideas of their own. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really inspiring to work with, with children. I think it's really important. So in your book, Bright New World, um, and with the, I guess, which is one element of, of your ambition to reach over I think you said 40 million children in five years. That's a, that's a lot of children. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what this book is about uh, and, and what you think a book can do as a, I guess, part of a linchpin, you know, in, you know, in this educational journey. What, what is it that a book aspires to for you? Well, I think the book tell, the, the book sets out a blueprint, really, a roadmap to safety. If we act fast and we act now, we can get there. And I really want to tell that story because I, it's a story that I believe, you know, it's not an easy journey. It's not in any way denying the problems, but it is saying this is, the, this is, the, this is a, a way forward that can build us a world with a future. And we all know, I think this, I don't say this to the to children, but we all know that unless we do take this action, we don't really have a world with a future. So we, we just have, we, there's no real um alternative except to start building these new pathways. Um, the way I position that to children is that this is an exciting, positive journey. I, we, we take a step into the future. We look at the, um, the main uh, areas of our, our current system that are having the biggest impacts like um, energy, the way we produce our food, transport, education for women and girls, uh, how we treat our, treat our carbon sinks, our oceans, our rainforests, for example, how we think. And then we take a step into the future and we said, what about if these weren't problems? Because we we're going to need energy, we're going to need transport, we're going to need food. And these are vital things. But So what if we stopped creating these things in a way that, that makes them a problem and turn them into a solution? If we did that now, this is what our world would look like. This would be the future of transport, food, energy. And then we, when we've got children excited about this, this, you know, this, this, this vision, it's beautifully illustrated. I was very lucky to work with a fantastic illustrator, very young illustrator, Bethany Lord. Then we show the roadmap. So this is where we can be. And this is not pie in the sky because look, we're here now. These are the problems, but all these things are happening in the now that could take us there. And then it features the, you know, the, the uh, innovations that are already at work. And it looks at young um, innovators. A lot of them come from the One Young World Global Ambassadors Program. These are young people all around the world who are working on issues in their local communities and making them into solutions. Sometimes it's local um, scale. Sometimes they've, they've scaled things up to be global solutions. So the children go, aha, yeah, they're doing it. It's happening. We can do it too. Yeah. I want to jump into some of the chapters in a second, but before that, what do you think about the role of role models? So Greta Thunberg obviously is uh, the most visible and she started at 
age 15, arguably a, a child activism, not yeah, youth yeah. activism almost. Uh, but but it's, it seems important to you to point out that, the, you know, the movement is larger than that. So, of course, it is very important to have such a pivotal figure to head the movement. But w- what do you think about the the role of children and, and young, really young, young youth uh, as a kind of center pieces of, of this movement? Uh, can they, uh, you know, even at that age, in your view, apart from sort of true activism, can they already start making a difference? I don't know, um, in their communities, well, do you get I, a sense that you can immediately sort of make a difference. I think children can make a difference, Tron, but I do want to be clear. I don't think that children should feel that they have to carry that burden or young people. I think, you no, know, Greta is quite clear. Don't, you know, don't you dare ask, you know, uh, give us hope you know we want you to act and i think it is absolutely um you know it's a team effort i think the the older generation have to move and have to be a huge part of this and to reassure young people that things are happening that we are taking that i i really struggle with that message that it's up to you you know you're going to be the future no we are in the now and we need to build this um safe future for our children and and teach them how to be part of it so that's you know that's a, a very important part for me. I think Greta Thunberg has done a, a superb idea, um, job of, of waking children up. But you're right, that's that's very frontline activism, and that's not for everybody. And it's not, um, and I don't think it's uh, really what everybody should be doing. I think that you know she she does an absolutely superb job of, of raising the problems, of sounding the alarm. But there's lots of young activists who are working on the solutions. And I think that that is the definition of activism is quite important because people think it's gluing yourself to something, it's chopping soup over Van Gogh or whatever, but there's activism is, is actually actively making change. So I also wanted to focus on the young people and older people who are actively making change in their communities with really practical solutions. So we, we can talk about um, some of those, you know, if, if you, if you would like, but I, the thing is around children, I do say to them, you know, I don't, there's very young children and you don't want to burden them with, with such a distressing uh, fact, facts of what, what are going on. You know, they need to, they need to grow up. They need to enjoy their lives. So I say to young children, you know, you're already, already part of this w- wonderful change because young people do, um, they're often very kind. Most children are extremely kind. They're caring. They love nature. And that itself is a really important part of a human being that you will, you will, um, become if you land with those natural, in- those basic natural ingredients, if you like, and you're, you, you work within a community that helps you to develop the skills to be a steward of earth, then that, then you become an activist in, in that very holistic way. Or your life really you're spent taking care for earth you're educated to know how to do that and that's the kind of mm-hmm. activism i think that all of us eventually need to um to learn it's not just being on the front line protesting it's it's in how we live and so the, the examples in the book i use are of young people who are doing that but there's no pressure on a on a 10 year old or an eight year old say you should be on the street protesting you know that that may be what you do in your life but but it's really about how you learn to live with earth that's the activism that i'm talking about yeah that makes a lot of sense let's jump into a couple of the sections so one of them is the future of food another obviously goes to the uh, your ocean point the power of the oceans um i was struck in particular by uh, you know on some of these like you said beautifully illustrated pages you 
you do in fact talk about startups that are making a difference. Like it's a very modern, um, it's a very modern view, I guess, on all these topics because you're, you're not presuming, uh, that, that politicians have all the answers. You, you know, you're, you're pointing to activism, you're pointing to actions in the now, you're pointing out startups and universities and there's research needing to be done. I, I really think that it's a, it's an inspiring book in that sense, because some of these problems, the scientists that will be coming up with these solutions are children right now. They truly are. Yeah, that's that's right. They are. And that's the, um, you know, that is really opening up their world to what is possible rather than seeing everything's gone horribly wrong. The other thing I say to children is, you know, in a way, this is one of the most exciting times to be alive because we get to learn, you get to learn how to fly this small planet. And, you know, that's a very exciting uh, proposition in, um, you know, I'm sure we this is a very well used analogy, but I do think it's an important one in the, um, in the Kennedy era, when the, 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 in the Cold War, the, the, the Americans were trying to beat the Russians and put a man on a moon for, and that's his famous, you know, moonshot quote, right? We, we, you know, we will put a man on the moon and bring him back, bring him back safely, and we'll do it within ten years. We don't know how, but we're going to do it. And he rallied a whole country behind that purpose. And that, and at the end of that decade, the average age of a NASA scientist was 26. So, you know, that's the kind of mobilization that we need now to bring all our beautiful global family behind this idea of, of, you know, of, of transitioning to an, a kind of species that lives in harmony and lives within its planetary boundaries. And we teach the children how to do it. And it can be a very inspiring journey. And there are wonderful people all around the world already doing, working on this stuff. And, and it's for the children to say, yeah, that's what I want to do with my life. I'm an engineer. So I shall create cars or buildings that work in this way. I'm an artist. I shall tell stories that, 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 you know, that shift our relationship with earth. I'm, I love fashion. So I will design clothes in a way that's compatible with our planetary boundaries rather than pigeonholing them into being protesters. They're actually active participants in transformation and they get that, the thing that they love, which so many of us have, and we kind of know it when we're little or we grow into it, but they use that in a way that is compatible with, um, you know, with, our, with, with sustainable life on, on earth within the planetary boundaries. It's fascinating to think about this silver lining of what you're saying, because, you know, I don't know, when I grew up, uh, I think part of the problem with my generation, right, the X generation was, you know, what, what are we going to do? Because the project wasn't so obvious, I think, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, the, the welfare states in my case, you know, they were built and uh, it, it was perhaps a little bit trickier to see what the big project was, but this is... Uh, the way you're painting the picture here, you know, this is a very real and active, uh, both threat, but also a challenge, right? It's, if you're wondering what to do with your life, you have some really exciting, important, life-changing challenges that you can engage in. And there seems to be from, from the way you line it up, because it's food, right? It's oceans. Uh, and then, you know, reducing waste is, is one of your features here. Uh, Voices for Girls, you're very passionate about, you know, making this a, uh, a journey that's, you know, much more inclusive this time. Um, what, what do you think, uh, what do you think really are the ways that uh, a parent can, um, you know, 
present the book, these challenges to, to, to their kids. Um, it's just sort of like, there's a challenge for everyone, you know, where do you fit in? How, how do you, as a parent start bringing in these, um, these opportunities for, uh, finding, I guess, meaning in a career and, 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 you know, a passion in their kids. Yeah, well, that's a really good question, um, Trond, and I really do want to come back to the, 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 the issue of educating girls as well. But I think in a sure. way, that's why I was lucky to be born in a family that was slightly out, you know, who were activists, if you like, in the civil rights, you know, very much coming out of the civil rights movement, very switched on to what was happening to environment very early, because you got, you got taught a different um, worldview, really. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the terrifying thing. People are waking up now and thinking, oh, my God, we, we're actually part of a system that's, that's fueling our demise. You know, if we, if we go and get jobs in, you know, the traditional jobs, they're, they're actually part of the problem as opposed to part of the solution. So it kind of starts with your worldview. I spent a lot of my younger years, you know, being on the margins and people think, oh, you must be crazy, you know, even in the apartheid uh, struggles. You know, Nelson Mandela was in prison as a black terrorist. We protested against that, you know, we all over the world people were, but the, the dominant narrative was this man is dangerous, he needs to be locked up. But you know, we were sitting on the street saying no, he's actually one of the greatest civil rights leaders, freedom fighters of the world. So that flips eventually that becomes the truth that people accept or the the dominant the, 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 the cultural norm, but it takes and then with environment, we you know we spend a lot of time working on environment in the Let's say, for example, the um, the corporate um, so, so socially responsible investing. You know, we'd go into corporates and speak about the need for businesses to invest in in, in companies that that help Earth regenerate or do far less damage. And these were alien concepts. 20, 30 years ago, and they, they grab, gradually have crept into the, the, the main framework of how business decisions are made. But I grew up with those as just basic tenets of how you live on earth. And I think that's the shift that we gradually need to make. So I'm trying to put tools into parents' hands. It's not just me. There's brilliant educators out there. There's brilliant storytellers who are helping parents frame this different narrative for Earth, in, in the same way as you know, the, you know, I hear stories. A lot of people I meet, they say, oh, "We woke up when we had our kids about five years ago." I kind of realised what kind of world I would be living in and what kind of legacy I would leave for my children. So it's, it feels quite late in the day for me that for people to be getting that wake up call. But it doesn't matter when you get it. What you need is support when you get it, and and something like a bright new world would be able to say, "Look." This this situation feels terribly frightening, but if we act in this way, this is what we can do right across our system. No matter what you're interested in, there's a place for you in being a steward of of Earth. And, and Bright New World is just one book of many that are starting to try to 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 tell a different story and, and shift our cult our dominant cultural narratives from one that have supported extraction to extinction, if you like, to one that supports collaboration and regeneration. Well, um, I have to say that, you know, browsing through your book, one of the things that really strikes me, and I do want to get back to the girl point in a second, is that it is as much a book for parents as it is a book for kids to me in, 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 a, in an important sense, because I feel as a parent, very both inspired and challenged when I 
when I am experiencing the messages and looking at the, the pictures here, because you're in essence also challenging us, I feel, without saying so. I feel very, very challenged by it, but in a, in a, in a positive way, because it's presented, you know, not as a challenge and, and you know, you're not addressing parents at all, but the way this comes out, I realize what a responsibility we have to make sure that, <laughs> that our kids get this opportunity and truly can become change makers in this, in, you know, in, in this game. Uh, I, what do you say to that? Well, I'd say thank you again, um, Trond. I'm really glad that you're, you know, you're, you're able to see. I, I did write the book at different levels and it is for children. It's for children to enjoy with their parents. It's for to go into schools. And, 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 and often when things are put in those more um, just accessible terms, that is that an invitation for, um, I think, so much around climate science, if you like, and climate change is so obfuscated. People are blinded by the science or they're a bit fearful that they don't understand enough about it to be able to make, you know, to, to, to know what to do, make informed decisions. So I've tried to make it really accessible for children and their parents. And when, when yeah, in some ways there is a challenge in there because it's like, why aren't we doing this? It's, it's blindingly obvious. The, the, the solutions are sitting here right on the table. Why aren't we doing it? And I know it's hard because the political climate is, doesn't make it easier. for. I mean, there has to be leadership from the top down as well. But if you're aware that it, there is this roadmap, then it makes it easier for you, you know, to know what to ask of your elected representatives and what to do in your own, um, in your own life and, and possibly how to adapt your own work, whatever where you're in, there's, there's ways of doing that that, are, that hopefully will be more be transformational rather than be part of the the problem. So yeah, there's definitely mm -hmm. um, and that is it's, it's certainly written to make it easier for parents to understand what can be done and how they can be part of it too. Uh, so let's jump to the voices for girls. What what are some of the points you're making there for? Uh, I guess. For, for for girls themselves, for young girls today, what, what what is the challenge and what is the opportunity that you're presenting in, in, in the in the book for them? Yeah, sure. I mean, I just want to point out that COP27 is happening in Egypt. 100 and I don't know how many leaders have gone, but let's say it's 193, it's normally around that. There's a photo in the um in one in the national newspaper, the national press today, all of them in a row. Can you guess how many are women? <laughs> I don't know, out of 193, maybe 10. Yeah, it was actually four that I could count, um, Tron, which is, is, is so shocking, the level. You know, you need this diversity. And I, I posted out an article yesterday around monocultures. Monocultures collapse, and yet we ha our, our world is being run by this monoculture. It's, it's not necessarily it's just only male, but it, it, you know, you're, you're elected to uphold uh, you know, to hold that system in place rather than to um, and make these incremental changes, which are just far too slow for the change that, that we need. So you have to have diversity in, in your ecosystem to be able to have the resilience to, to, you know, to be strong enough to, to survive. So I was really shocked. To, and I know it was, wasn't much better last year. It was, it was just as bad last year, but whenever you see it, it's really shocking. Now it's so it's vital to include, um, Education for girls. There's a brilliant work of Paul Hawkin, Project Drawdown, and it shows clearly that, um, and population matters, that, that one of the most 
the highest impacts that you can have on climate change is, is, is reducing the population. And if you educate girls, the populate they tend to choose. This isn't about horrendously draconian birth control um, programs, but it's simply when girls are given access to education, they actually choose to have smaller or perhaps smaller families or perhaps no children at all. And if everybody had half a child less just spread over averages, the population would stabilize at about seven and a half billion by 2050. So we'd have so much less strain on our resources. So that's just the, the pure side of the, the, the physical human impact on planet Earth. And then back to my original point, when you bring women into the dialogue or diverse voices into the di- dialogue, you get a much, um, you get a much uh, more resilient uh, set of solutions. And, and, the, and I'm not, you know, there's, there's absolutely fabulous men on this earth who would, who would think in a much more collaborative, if you, if you like, feminist in, way, in, the, in the same way that we see really ghastly women who think in this much more sort of dominator model. But there's a, there's a tendency for the, what we call the, the feminine way of thinking or the collaborative way of thinking to, to, to sit in the feminine space. And we have to now have that model of collaboration and care to offset this model of dominate competition and dom- domination that has been um you know, has taken precedent over all models for the, you know, for god knows how many years but certainly post colonization um in the, in the colonial era which has driven so much from the colonization to through the industrial revolution which has that that model Know, really absolute based on maximum growth at any cost and competition and at any cost has is the one that's brought us to the edge of you know of, of extinction so you cannot have those voices being the only ones that are um, considered valid in decision making that is around um, the securing the future of our planet hmm. so w- when you get to your messages, chapters uh in this book i guess uh first off these uh scenarios these positive scenarios they go i guess 10 years into the future and the activism you speak of is kind of a decades perspective and you you know some of the things you say is you know the powers of transformation include using your voice eating differently for a happy planet uh be uh, a carbon light foods yourself as, as people i guess you know not uh, consuming too much and then uh you know figure out ways to reducing your waste saying enough to certain types of consumption being informed uh, always including girls, uh, go wild is one I like a, a lot, you know, enjoy the wildlife that's left on this planet. That seems, uh, crucial, uh, to, to actually have an experience of wilderness in order to protect it. You, you kind of have to know what it is, I, I guess. And then you have these like care, share and dare, which I, I, I thought were interesting, uh, verbs in, in this context, but, uh, um, as you're thinking about the next uh, decade, Cindy, what what do you think is going to happen? You you talked to me earlier about a, a kind of disruption moment that might be a little painful. Uh, you are pretty vocal about uh, the industrial system not being the right one, uh, but people have been saying that since uh, the Club of Rome, right? And this message of reducing potentially growth and reducing anything, you know, it's not an enormously appealing message. 
what do you think it it, it, it would take for, for either for that message to stick or for some other revolutionary message to uh, to to come across here over the next decade? What's going to happen, really? Yeah, I mean that's. I wish I, I I really wish I did. You know, could answer that with any degree of certainty, um, Trondike. You know, I I have to say I'm I'm a, feel like I'm an extremely lucky person. My work takes me brings me into contact with such fantastic elements of humanity, including you. You know, it's p- people who are so concerned about this, who spend a lot of their life, their life work, trying to solve these issues. So you think, gosh human beings, we're such a lovely species and we really get this and we really understand what we need to do to get out of the fix that we're in. And then you have a whole other you know, world, if you like, where people are just not aware and some people are aware, but they're so busy just trying to survive because it's terribly hard to survive in this system. You have to use up so much of your life energy just trying to, you know, cover the, your basic needs. So it's, it's really, and then you, you definitely have engines of, you know, of, of, of massively powerful engines that are trying to hold this system in place. You know, the fossil fuel um, industry, the recent report showed they'd been making profits of 30 billion a day for the last 30 years, which, you know, with that money, you can buy almost any political party, any lobbying group, and they have done that. And whether it's overt or covert in the messaging that comes out of, you know, we need to live, we need to consume. So it is terribly hard to see how you can shift that fast enough without going through some kind of of, of chaos, which we're, which we're starting to, see, you know, not starting to see now, but it's so advanced with Pakistan, the fifth most populous country is the third underwater. There's droughts and famine just spreading right across Africa. You know, and, and, and unfortunately, because they're happening in the global South, people aren't the people who have, who hold the real seats of power aren't reacting fast enough, so it, you almost feel that they that something of that scale needs will will happen. Not needs. I hope to goodness it doesn't happen, but will happen. In in it will hit the people who hold the you know the dominant power base, the Western uh, powers before before they they respond with the speed and the scale that's needed, which could very well be far too late and that's that's the race we're, we're up against i mean i would like to think that the, you know that it happens in time but it could be that we have to transition through that you know period of, of, of really horrid chaos before we come out with a, as, a, as a wiser species that knows that has learned how to live on planet earth i i sorry this isn't a short answer but i i often ask myself how did the indigenous people get so much wisdom, the First Nations people, when they have that code that you always think seven generations ahead, you think about what the action that you take in the now will have in this great earth system, which they understood and recognized works on these much longer term cycles than immediate human need. And I think, did something terrible happen to them that they then realized that you couldn't take all the fish out of the sea at once? You couldn't hack down your whole um, you know, the ecosystem, the forests, you, you couldn't do these things uh, before they learned that, that lesson. And I, 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 I asked that, you know, do we have to go through this before we, so that was on a, you know, in the national uh, scale, you know, wherever the, the, the great indigenous tribes were, but do we have to go through that as a human family before we learn that 
lesson collectively. I, my, 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 my hope would be, I really hope not. I hope there's enough intelligence and enough evidence of what will happen if we don't. But my fear is that possibly we do. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting year, right? I mean, you were talking about COP27 and this year, the discussion is very difficult because it's essentially on financing the uh, problems created from the fossil economy, you know, in the global South. And uh, I guess the sticky point there is the loss and damages. And, you know, I've recently come to fully understand more about, uh, you know, we're not, none of us are outside this system, right? So, I mean, having grown up in Norway, for example, I grew up thinking it was a great thing that there was this uh, pension fund um, you know, and you compare that to other countries that I'm studying at the moment, you can, for instance, compare that to Nigeria, they found oil in 1956, I believe, or 58. And, uh, and, you know, there is no There's petroleum no, fund, yeah. so you could, right. But having said that, you know, the $1.3 trillion petroleum fund in some sense is, you know, it's a shameful amount of money to, for any nation to have gathered. So it's fantastic for the pensions of Norwegian people, you know, whatever number of millions uh, they are. But it's it's indeed not just the uh, private oil companies. It's in some some sense, sometimes it's actually full nation states that have been able to carve aside enormous, you know, profits. Mm. So, you know, I don't feel outside the system at all. You can, you know, divide this by the number of Norwegians that, uh, that have this fund and, and it's in, in essence, you know, it's exploitation. But, um, the question I guess is how to distribute that kind of money in a, in, in a fair way and, uh, you know, contribute to true change because you're not going to convince a lot of Norwegians if you say that fund should be divested immediately down and, you know, given to the global South, that's a non-starter um, type of discussion, yeah. you know, for, for good reason, I think. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, it, they, these are extremely difficult uh, questions. I, I think if you show that there are workable models of redistribution, you know, with enough credibility, then you're starting from a, a better place. I think the work that Kate Raworth has done on donor economics, I won't get, get into that here, and then I can't explain it nearly as well as she can, but it is a very, you know, reasonably simple um, exp- uh, model to understand. That, and I don't think that if we could transition peacefully, I don't think it would happen overnight. I think what we'd need to do is, you know, mitigate like hell to stop the temperature rising, uh, or, or, you know, take all those measures of, um, of, limit, of, of phasing out fossil fuels as, as quickly as possible and regenerating our natural um, systems, so the, the, um, car, our carbon sinks. But I also think that um, that you know, but 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 bring in these new models of global governance where the indigenous people are paid to actually keep na- rainforest nations are paid to keep rainforest pristine. There are tax systems work in reverse. Actually, you're you're paid to care for the Earth's life support systems rather than to smash them to pieces. And then you work in this with the framework. What's so brilliant about donor economics is it's mapped against what Earth will actually stand and support the, the, the planetary boundaries. So in some ways, it does come back to education because if because really everybody loses. The people who are sitting there hoping that they'll protect their larger pension fund are, which you can totally understand. And I'm not, but but if we think like that for too much longer, if you think there can't be any redistribution of of the of of, of money, 
then we all go down Trond, as you said, we're all part of this system. You might be able to create the barriers for a bit longer, but you don't. You, you won't be able to create them forever. There has to be some much more egalitarian way of, of, of using Earth's resources at the moment. And it shouldn't, maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, such a, a, a massive, I, I would hope people feel that they're not giving things up. They're actually gaining a world with a harmonious, safe, stable future. At present, I think it's seven men own the same own half the amount the same amount of wealth as half the human population that can't be a successful system that leads to that then that really cannot be considered success so there are huge pockets of wealth that could be redistributed to help these to help mitigate the worst effects of climate change in the global south without taking away the huge amounts from people in um you know in the in the global north because the, the the concentration of wealth in the highest in the people who have the highest impact on the planet is is phenomenal and their individual impacts are, are more than i think that the fight that those that the, the top I can't get my percentages and my numbers mixed up, but you know, there's 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 a, there's a small group of extremely wealthy people who have the same environmental impacts as a whole country like France. So somewhere, and that's where it's so hard to make change because they've also got their hands on the levers of power with the amount of money they have. They hold those power structures in place, but it's not. You know, I would like to think it's it's not um, a burden that needs to be carried by ordinary people, if you like. It's, just, it's a redistribution of extreme inequality that's happening at the, you know, the bottom end of the scale. And then this huge, the huge um, income levels that are just really quite obscene, considering the levels of poverty and what could be changed with that money. Yeah, I, I tend to think uh, about this, Cindy, that w- we just haven't been clever enough to present the silver linings because, you know, yeah. uh, when we talk about climate redistribution and we talk about loss and damage, these are negative terms. Oh. And for economists or, or certainly capitalists of any sort of kind, this is not very positive news. But if you think about the Marshall Plan, I mean, the Marshall Plan was a really good investment by the United States. Right, it rebuilt Europe, mm-hmm. and it gave the United States a market that it has benefited from, from for over fifty years. Um, but you know, when that was sold into U.S. taxpayers and and, and you know and, and and stuff, clearly you were using economic market reasons. But but also, uh, I guess the payoff uh, was presented as uh, you know you, you're going to see this payoff in your lifetime. So I just think that the problem really with climate is that the people selling a good climate have been using too long timescales because, you know, the fact that the earth might survive and, you know, biodiversity a hundred years from now might still be there. It's really hard to motivate anybody in power, uh, or anybody at all for a challenge that's, that's long, that's, that's uh, long of a time frame when, you know, politics as usual has a two to four year time frame. Yeah. Absolutely. So even moving to a decade, like that's why I like so much your, your time frame. a decade. Um, a lot needs to be done in a decade and, you know, we won't all get there. Um, but I think to show some of the benefits that could accrue even over 10 or 20 years, um, 
we could do do so much better uh, a job at doing that. Uh, and it's not just to show all the negatives that could happen in 20 years, like the, the UN Climate Change Panel for all the wonderful work they do. It's mostly focused on all of the havoc that will be created by 2040 and 50 if we don't act. But it's just that's that's motivating people in the negative. I don't know what you think of that. You you have chosen to do the the opposite, so you clearly have made your choice. Yeah, absolutely, Trond. I think we have to focus now on what we can do. I think if we focus on what we can't, it's just overwhelming. It's debilitating. It's terrifying. So we just need to focus on what we can do. And I'm I'm so surprised sometimes when people aren't aware of that because they get totally overwhelmed by, unless this is your space really, by the, the, the negativity, you know, without, yeah. I'm not trying to deny the facts at all, but, but the other side of that story, as you say, is what can happen. And I totally believe that, you know, if we act now, we act fast with good leadership, we could be in a world that's much, a much more kind and fair and enjoyable place to live than that when how we live now, riven by resource wars, you know, the, the war in Russia, Ukraine, that's a, re, that's, that's a petro-state war, if you know, won't go into that, but the, the roots behind that are very much in oil and in the refusal to transition to fossil fuels, the, the, the hideous inequality that causes all the racism, or some in ways part of the racism because you get mass migration, which is climate change migration, all of these things that are, are happening, with, with, and, and yet Earth is still abundant enough to look after the, the human family in a way that would be offer people an enjoyable life rather than this fear that people have of, oh my God, we've got to wear hemp shirts and we've got to live off lentils, you know, the, the, the people, because the green movement has had such a negative press for so long as well, people are frightened of what, what environmentalism means and what, what it looks like. Well, Cindy, like. I guess that's going to be my final challenge to you, because I think that honestly, the environmental movement as a whole have made an error there, a strategic error, because it's one thing to say reduced growth, uh, you know, or, or more sustainable growth. I don't really like the word sustainability, but either way, uh, you know, some, one thing that mobilizes people in power is expanded markets. So the reason the Marshall plan worked was that you're saying we're going to expand your market. Um, if you say you're going to reduce growth, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, you're saying we're going to bring Africa, you know, into, uh, you know, the 21st century or, you know, essentially a lot of the arguments that people really like when you're in power is things like expanding the market. So, you know, if you said in 30, 40 years, the global market will be much larger. So you all don't have to worry because your goods can be sold globally. And, you know, as we have found this year, the, the world isn't very global. We are, you know, fighting our regional wars and, and, you know, Russia could retreat seemingly somewhat comfortably and has a big enough market of their own. Isolationism exists. So I guess the challenge is, you know, what's the message here? Is the message that we can have a global market that keeps expanding, but we obviously could be more responsible about the kinds of products that are circulating on that market? Or is the message we all have to basically put on the hemp shirts and consume less and, and be close to nature and, you know, harvest, uh, you, you know, tomatoes from our own garden? I think the messaging isn't clear. It's not entirely clear what kind of future we are looking at if, if we go this route. Well, that is partly where I've written the book because it does set out what it could you know what the what the future um, could look like. I do touch on economics. I don't go into some detail, partly because it's not my area of, of strength, and partly because you know the, the book is 
detailed for children. But I think it is that is that it is the transition in the world view though and and changing what we count because you know we, at the moment we count gdp so you know growth right. any it doesn't matter if you've sold tobacco or you know products that kill people weapons you've you've, you've rebuilt something after a terrorist attack you know, this all counts as as an indicator of a healthy society, which it simply isn't. You know, there's other things that we need to count as well, like the well-being of the people, the well, the the the, the, um, the richness of the biodiversity. Because the, the reality is, which is being because people are terrified, as you say, to challenge this notion of growth on that single number. Uh, is that that if if we carry on using that, then everything collapses, and that is the truth. And um, so you know, you have the politicians that. They are there. They're the rabbits in the headlights. How do we tell people? How do we tell people that we have to redesign our economic system so that we use Earth's resources much more uh, regeneratively? I don't like the word sustainable either. And we and we count, we measure our success as as, as nations, as a as a global family on 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 these broader indicators. But that does take it does take. Um, education for people to understand why those other measures are important. And it does take leadership who are prepared to step out of this, you know, this this mantra of growth at any cost. We just saw what happened to Liz Truss, the prime minister. Growth, 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 she said as she fell off the cliff herself because the you know, the, the, not even the market would support what she was trying to do with the tax system. And, and Earth is telling us, I'm terribly sorry, human beings. You simply cannot carry on living like this because you're destroying your life support system. And, and it is becoming more apparent every year, which, which I would hope with strong, positive positioning of the message of what it means life could be will become more attractive than the reality that people are now facing of what life is becoming without trying with by, by continuing to live according to this mantra. And I think it's very clear to people that that doesn't add up. You know, in, in a relatively wealthy nation like Britain, we've got food food banks all over the country. There was one food bank, I think, 30 years ago. Now there's thousands of food banks. There's people who are living in atrocious poverty. So that the lie behind that is really clear. And the lie of trying to solve it by creating more growth is becoming more clear. But I think you're right in the fact that in place of just terror of saying, there'll be no growth, you need to tell another story of what a different kind of of, of, you know, of wealth and abundance looks like, which isn't getting through at the moment, but hopefully it will. And it's very much what Bright New World is about. Yeah. Look, this is fascinating. It's a fascinating discussion, but more importantly, you have created a fascinating uh, book that I think can inspire uh, all kinds of discussions, hopefully, and 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 maybe we can get a little closer to a, a, a vision of growth that is more realistic, I guess, in the decades and and and. Uh, it's going to be a long century ahead. I, I predict these yeah, are difficult it feels, issues. It feels, it, it does feel, it feels tough. You know, it, it, it's, if there's no easy answer and there's no easy, there's no magic wand to, to wave, Trond, it's a, it's a lot of work right across the system. But I believe it, well, we can I'm glad do. that some kids are still young and, uh, perhaps can develop this can-do attitude around it, whether it is for the food system, the ocean or consumption or um, truly 
regenerating not just the rainforest, but perhaps our, our entire economic system. So thank you so much for uh, creating this work and for coming on the podcast to share some of uh, the lessons with, with yeah, us. Yeah, well, thank you so much for caring, Tron, and for all the work you do to ask us, to, to challenge us, to think about what kind of future we, we want and what kind of future we um we make in the now from from our actions in the now so I, I really appreciate being invited on this podcast it's been such a pleasure to be here well thank you and uh, have a wonderful uh you know next stage with with your work thank you thank you you have just listened to another episode of the Futurized podcast with me, Trondane Unheim, futurist, scholar and author. If you are interested in my products and services, feel free to check out futurized.org slash store where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap or buy a few of my books such as Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games or Leadership From Below. If you're interested in any or all of my projects, check out my website trondundheim.com, which has links to other podcasts as well as my public appearances. Thank you. Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized, conversations that matter.